the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right. Thank you very much. Welcome back. Hour number two of our program broadcasting live today from Abundant Life Christian Fellowship. By the way, I'll mention if you're new to the Bay Area and looking for a church home, we invite you to check out Abundant Life Christian Fellowship. And you can get more information about the pulpit and teaching ministry of Pastor Brian Loritz online at ALCF.net. His program, Inspired to Live, heard Monday through Friday at 4.30 p.m., right here on KFAX. Of course, in addition to uh, being our gracious host, is also one of our panelists today, along with Dr. Phil Howard, Senior Pastor at Valley Bible Church in Hercules. If you're up in the North Bay looking for a church home, we invite you to check them out. Details on the web at valleybible.org. His program, Truth For Today, heard Monday through Friday at 5.30 a.m. and Sundays at 8.30 a.m. here on KFAX. For those of you out Toward the east, 580 in Livermore. You may want to check out the Well Christian Community Church there at 2333 Neeson Drive in Livermore, where Pastor Napoleon Kaufman serves. His program, by the way, Tri- Times of Refreshing, Refreshing, can be heard Monday through Friday at 3 p.m. here on KFAX. And you can get more information about his pulpit ministry and the Well Christian Community online at thewellchurch.net. Also mention Pastor Stephen Converse, pastor and teacher at Grace Bible Church of Redwood City there at 2225 Euclid Avenue. Details on the web at gracefultruth.org and his program, Graceful Truth, heard Sundays at 3.30 p.m. here on KFAX. Been talking about this broader topic of Christian worldview. What is it? What do we do with it? How do we use our Christian worldview to impact lives around us? And how does it allow us to speak truth into the lives of others. We were talking prior to the break about the issue of race relations and racial prejudice and what the, um, what the church looks like as, as, as a diversified church, not one that ignores necessarily our differences, but celebrates them, learns from them, embraces them, and um, the manner in which God can be um, lifted up through all of that by demonstrating our love for one another. We kind of just prior to the break touched on the issue of immigration as a very hot topic today. And there's a lot about this that's capturing attention because there's concern about uh, control of the borders and security issues and things of this sort. And yet I have to wonder, as we, we kind of dive into the rule of law side of this equation, in a region like California that has such a heavy Latino population, when we say control the borders, do they hear keep the undesirables out. When we say they're lawbreakers, what are they hearing? And what should we be hearing in terms of understanding also a bit of the perspective of somebody who, yes, granted, technically broke the law crossing into the United States, and yet did so not because of nefarious reasons or reasons that they're involved in drug trafficking or anything of that sort, but simply because they're trying desperately to find a better life for a family that is dwelling in a town or in a, 
in a country that is suffering so terribly economically that they see absolutely no hope for the future, no chance of survival for their children in those circumstances. And so they're doing perhaps what any parent would do, and that is if I can find a safe haven, I'm going to take my child there. Let me ask our panelists to touch on this. I realize we're, we're kind of diving into more uh, of the complicated theology here, and yet I think it's a very timely one. Let me start first with Pastor Pauline Kaufman on this broader issue, Pastor Kaufman. How do we as the church go about articulating a message that while not denying the issues of rule of law and security of borders, at the same token seems to at least demonstrate some sense of passion for people that are coming here because they're trying to escape desperate circumstances. You know, the thing that really just amazes me is, you know, why, why can't you do both? And, and what I mean by that is, why can't you secure the border? Why can't you have great laws on the books that help people come in the country legally? And then at the same time, um, you know, that, that, that's the thing that's really confusing to me, is why can't you do both? Why can't you show compassion to people, while at the same time, secure your, your border, protect your country, and do the things that you should be doing as a nation. Um, I just think that there's a way to do both, and obviously uh, con- Congress is having a hard time sifting through all that. And the reason why I say that is this, and, and, I, and, I, and I hope this, this comes across right. We, had a, we have a brother in our church who's actually now a minister in our church, and he was a young man that... Um, he came to the country illegally. He uh, came to the country illegally and had been here for a long time, right? And he comes into my office and he tells me, he says, Pastor, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really struggling finding a job. I'm struggling. I feel like I'm, I'm on the run. I feel like I'm like a, like a vagabond out here kind of, and I feel like there's not a, like a, a resting place for me. I got to get this aspect of my life together because it's hindering me from, from opportunities that I that I could, I could have. And so I told him as a pastor, I said, well, if this is an issue, and obviously it is a big issue, man, you, you may need to go back to Mexico and then try to come back the right way. I told him that. So he does it. He goes back to Mexico, leaves his wife and kids here that were born here, he and raised here, he goes back goes through the process. There was about three months where it was, it was shaky, it was, it was rough. Um, the church was there to be a blessing to his family, to, to apply you know, money and all those things that they needed during that process. He goes back and he gets his, he goes through the process and gets his citizenship here in the country now he's free, he's doing his own thing, and, and he's just totally blessed. So he goes through the process, and now he became a citizen. Now, let me say this too, and I want to say this because just recently he told me, he said, Pastor, I got to tell you something. So everybody's making a fuss about all these things. He said, but I want you to know that when I did sneak into the country, he said, I came over here to sell drugs, man. He said, I came over here to sell drugs. And that's why I said, you got to be kidding me. He said, that's the reason why me, even as a Hispanic person, I know that, that they, basically what I'm saying to you all, 
they got to do both because I was one of those guys that snuck in the country illegally and I came in here to sell drugs. But I got here and I got saved. I came here, I, I came here, got saved, and you know, it, it worked out for me. But I just think that they have to do both. And so for me, that's the thing that I'm trying to, to really just grapple with in my own mind because I have, I have these testimonies, and that's not the only one, but I have these testimonies in my own church. And I'm saying to myself, we have to do something to secure the border. We got to make sure we do what we do there. But then we have to be compassionate enough, loving enough, considering enough and and understanding enough that people are fleeing tough situations and they're trying just to make a better life not everybody's like the guy that that i just talked about there are others they're not they are they have to do both we have to do both if we're going to really solve this problem and and they just need to get it done and on the ground level on ground level as a as pastors of churches we're the ones dealing with this. A lot of us are dealing with this on a day-to-day pe- uh, basis with people who are coming from, from various countries for various reasons. And so I just, my prayer is, is that they get it done. Steve Converse, let me turn to you. You're pastoring in Redwood City. There's a very large Latino population in that portion of not only uh, the peninsula, but certainly Redwood City itself. This is a challenge because sometimes when we say rule of law, You've broken the law. You need to do the right thing. What they hear is, we don't want you here. How do we, how do we integrate, again, that, that difficult balance between securing the borders and at the same token, the evangelistic component that Pastor Kaufman just spoke about? I hear more Christians that seem to be more interested in protecting the borders. Again, not that there's anything wrong with that but that that seems to be a bigger priority to us than, than ministry and outreach to millions of people that, like it or not, are here as our neighbors. Uh, maybe it's just me, but I kind of look at it this way. You know, Jesus told us, told his disciples and us, to go into all the world and to, to preach the gospel and to make disciples. Well, you know what? The church isn't doing a real good job of that. So I think what God is doing in America, at least, is saying, you know what? I'm going to bring the people to you. Mm. Seriously. And you know what? I, I have on my prayer list in my little my office, I pray for the pastors on those border towns that are dealing directly with a lot of this illegal immigrants coming across the border. Because you know what? That's a mission field. These are people that need to be reached with Christ. And as a church, we have to have compassion, but we also have to have and observe, and we are called to be in, in subject to the laws of the land. And so I, I agree with uh, Pastor Kaufman that the government has to figure this out, a way to do both of these things. Because you can't just say, well, we're just going to have open borders and whoever may come in may come in. That's not going to help us. That's going to hurt us as a country. But at the same time, You know, we were talking earlier, and I thought of this verse in James chapter 2, where James says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and the one one of you says to him, Go in peace and be warmed and be filled, without giving him the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself if it does not have works, is dead. And I think it's contingent upon the church 
the body of Christ to reach out to these people in a way that will allow them to see Christ in us. And that's hearts of compassion, understanding. It's tragic to see what's going on down there with the the children being taken away from their parents. But you know what? That happens every day here in America when someone breaks the law, when someone's imprisoned. They're torn from their family. And so it's just a reality that I think we have to be willing to deal with. But I I would really ask you as, as believers to pray. Pray for those churches down on the border that have direct contact with a lot of what's going on, that they could have ministries to minister to these people uh, during this time. Let me ask Pastor Brian Loritz. There's oftentimes, again, this struggle that we're looking at this as the immigration problem, and yet to, to capitalize on something that Pastor Converse just said, the idea that we're here in the most unique mission field anywhere, Typically, if you want to reach historically the Chinese community, you have to get in an airplane or a boat and travel across thousands of miles to go to China to do it. Or if you want to reach Italian people, you've got to go to Italy and Europe to do it. Here, the whole world is coming to us. For me, I look at this and say, yes, it's a problem, but bigger than the problem, it is an enormous opportunity for us to literally right here in our backyard When you talk about reaching every tribe, every tongue for Jesus Christ, what an opportunity for the church to stand up and say, let's capitalize on this opportunity. Look what God has done. He has brought the mission field to our doorsteps. Yes, when you read the Bible, um, God has ordained several very distinct institutions. The first institution God ordains is the family. Uh, We also see God ordaining the government, which is for our good. Uh, Government is meant to to protect us. Uh, But he's also ordained the institution of the church. And there are times in which the church and government are very different institutions. And we've got to trust the government to be able to legislate. The role of the church is not to legislate. However, I do think there is a place for Christians to exercise civil disobedience we see that those laws are unjust. I mean, that's the whole story of the civil rights movement, Mm -hmm. is you had a group of Christians who said what the government is doing is unjust, it is inhumane, and we think it is contradicting the very law and word of God, and we we feel like we should be ones who protest against that. Now, when you talk about government in the Bible, there are different forms of government, both in the scriptures and throughout world history. Today, we we function in what's called a democracy. Um, God's chosen form of government, we, we know the answer to that one. Uh, as you go in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, as he's setting up his government, it is not a democracy. It is a theocracy. A democracy is a government uh, ruled by the people. A theocracy is a government directly ruled by God. So these kinds of conversations are tough because you can't cut and paste um, laws that are specific to a theocracy and say that a democracy has to abide by those specific laws. Now, we do know God's heart on, on uh, immigration, and we don't have to guess this one, but it's under a theocratic form of government. So I'm not saying we have to do this, but if you want to know what God thinks about immigration, he was very clear, and I wish Jeff Sessions would have quoted this one, welcome the stranger. Mm-hmm. That's under a theocratic form of government. 
God says, I want open borders for my people and welcome the stranger. Why? Because at one time you were a stranger and I welcomed you. So that's how it functions under a theocracy. I knew I wouldn't get any claps on that one. So I am not saying we have to do that because it is a completely different form of government. But what I am saying as Christians, back to our original question of what does it mean to think like God? If you want God's mind on immigration, he's already given you his mind. Um, And by the way, praise God, Egypt had open borders or Jesus would have been in a world of trouble. (laughs) Amen. Jesus was an immigrant who when the persecution came down, because Egypt had open borders, Jesus was able to hang out there. Now, at Abundant Life and other churches, our role is not to legislate. So when a law comes down, the first thing we have to do is, is this in contradiction with how God wants us to function? I personally don't think it is. And so I abide by those, by those rules. Now, I think my problem with this current situation is I think you can make a law, and when people violate that law, you can still mete out consequences, but in a way that, that still is nice and full of humanity. I mean... We parents do this all the time with our kids. Our kids do stuff that clearly violates law, but we don't eviscerate their dignity. We do so in a very humane way that still holds them to a standard. I would like to see a little bit more of that in our current government. And I, and I think one of the challenges here, too, sometimes we hide behind, well, this is what the government is doing. Um, and I get your point in differentiating between a theocracy and a democracy. And, of course, here in the United States, under our constitutional republic, we have representatives who go to Washington, D.C., who go to Sacramento to act and to vote on our behalf. Instead of all of us en masse going to Washington, D.C., we say to the representative, you go there on our behalf and take care of our best interests. So let's be clear, when we say this is what the government is doing, what we're really saying is this is what we're doing. Because as Lincoln intoned in the Gettysburg Address, this is government of, by, and for the people. So if we say, well, this is happening, I don't like it, but it's the government that's doing it, realize that what we're really saying is we're doing it, and yes, it bothers us, but not quite enough to do something about it very uncomfortable, but it's the sad reality that I think a lot of us has to face, whether we're talking about the immigration question or we're talking about the racism question or whatever the question might be, that at the end of the day, God is going to hold us responsible for that which he has entrusted us with. Amen? We're going to take a brief time out. We're going to come back with questions. If you want to join us with a comment or a question on the radio, in the radio audience at 888-367-5329. That's 888-F-O-R-K-F-A-X. If you're here in our in-studio audience at Abundant Life Christian Fellowship and want to jump in with a comment or a question for any of our panel members, we invite you to line up behind the microphone here on the center aisle. After this brief time out, we're going to move right to your question. So let's take a look at traffic. We'll do that right now at 6.33. Good afternoon to Michael Bennett. Hey, Michael. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right. Thank you very much. Welcome back to the conversation here at 6.38. It is the Tuesday edition of Lifeline. We are on the road, and I'd like to again uh, give a big shout-out to Abundant Life Christian Fellowship 
here in Mountain View for being so gracious and, and hosting this event tonight. Nice round of applause, if you would, for our friends at Abundant Life Christian Fellowship and, of course, uh, Pastor Brian Loritz. In addition to uh, Pastor Loritz as our panelists, we also have Pastor Stephen Converse from Grace Bible Church in Redwood City, Dr. Phil Howard from Valley Bible Church in Hercules, and Pastor Polian Kaufman from the Well Christian Community in Livermore. Phone lines open for your comments and questions toll free at 888-367-5329. That's 888-F-O-R-K-F-A-X. And we're going to uh, go first to... Our first guest here in studio. Your question, please. Thank you. I'm Lee from Palo Alto. And uh, this has been really an eye-opener tonight um, to learn that only 9% of professing Christians actually hold a biblical worldview is very troubling. And the suggestion, everyone tell one, it seems to me as though it needs to start in the church because if only 9% of Christians have a biblical worldview, that means 91% of them don't. That's outside of the world itself. That's why I believe we are irrelevant. And um, a lot of people that are in the world, they want God's view on immigration, uh, but they don't want God's view on marriage. Hmm. We, We have different interpretations of Scripture. Common sense is just, you know, what we're reading is, is not there. So I really do think and uh, that all of us need to do that, every one disciple one, because otherwise it will be overwhelming. And uh, I guess it's more of a comment than a question other than how do we do it? Well, and that's a good observation. I mean, first off, it seems like we have a lot of work to do inside of the church itself. And when we talk about you know, developing this Christian worldview, and I'll pose this question for any of our four panelists. I mean, th- this gets into issues of not only understanding what God has to say, but then having appropriate, you know, that, that Pauline observation, be ready to, to give an answer for the hope that lies within. How do we do that when somebody approaches us and says, for example, you know, uh, what about this? What do you think about immigration? Or uh, as a friend of mine recently learned, um, his 21-year-old son came home one day and said, Dad, I hate to tell you this, but I have been secretly exploring transgenderism, and I've come to the conclusion that I'm not really a boy, I'm a girl, and I'd like to explore what all that means to eventually change my lifestyle and also seek an operation. Wow. Now, I, when this friend of mine came to me and said, what do you think? How do you begin to even address the kind of confusion and pain that brings up and do it in a loving fashion that doesn't chase the young man away, but opens up a door of opportunity to be able to speak truth. Any of our panelists? Yes, I, I think one primary thing we have to be um, subscribers to is love and not tolerance. Um, I think in the present worldview in which we live, everything's about tolerance. And now, originally, tolerance meant the ability to disagree civilly with other people. Now the new tolerance pretty much means you do you and I'm going to rubber stamp whatever you want to do and so you pursue happiness just as long as your pursuit of happiness doesn't conflict with my pursuit of happiness. When you think about it, tolerance is a very low ethic. I tolerate you. Um, Love flies at a much higher altitude. But love has a backbone. 
love has standards. And for the believer, that standard is the Word of God. And that's where Christians, we need to be able to incarnate fully grace and truth. John chapter 1, John said, when I saw Jesus, I saw a man full of grace and truth. So when you take our friends in the gay community, like you mentioned, or transgender community, I think historically Christians have either shouted or remained silent. Neither one offers a very helpful paradigm for cultural engagement. And what Jesus shows us is the ability to walk with people who are broken and lost and to do it in such a way that they actually seek him out. And yet he's actually able to say to them, go in peace and sin no more. That's grace and truth. Well, I I, I was just going to say one of the things that I was thinking about as Pastor Brian was uh, was speaking, is uh, an old wise man told me a long time ago, he said, whatever you win them with, you got to keep them with it. Mm-hmm. Whatever you win them with, you got to keep them with it. And I think that for us as, as the church, you know, I thank God that my that I got exposed to the Spirit of God and I got exposed to the Word of God immediately when I got saved. And, I, and, and the teaching of the Bible, um, you know, systematic theology, breaking down the Word of God, really getting into the Bible was what I got exposed to so that I got a great foundation in God's point of view, His lenses when it comes to the world. And then... That became the thing that I desired to know more of the Word of God, to know have more intimacy with Jesus, to to get to know the Holy Spirit, and to really grow and mature. and um, And I think that that's something that that we need back in the body of Christ is that that the people of God have a healthy appetite for the Scriptures and for intimacy with the Spirit of God and with the Lord. I mean, those things now, and we talked about it earlier, it's, it's more about entertainment. You know, how does it make me feel? You know, how does the light show? And how's this? How's that? And all these other things, but those aren't the things that are going to sustain you, help you grow, make you mature, make you stable as a Christian. And I just think that, that uh, those are the things that we've got to start giving people a healthy dose of. And let me say this. It doesn't always taste good at first because we're used to the movie theaters and the flash and the this and the dash. And the, but after a while, you begin to develop a healthy appetite for the scripture. Like, man, what did Apostle Paul say in the book of First Corinthians? I really want to understand this. This is powerful. I mean, and whatever you win him with, you got to keep him with it. If you keep him with the word, then those are the people that are going to soar and really and will he flourish in the kingdom? Let's get to a call. Thank you, Pastor Kaufman. Let's get to a call. We've got David on the line calling from Saratoga. David, come on in with your comment or question for our panel. I was going to comment on uh, one of the pa- panelists mentioned that uh, uh, pride depends on uh, being uh, feeling superior to uh, other people which is absolutely true. Uh, the problem... Go ahead. Did we lose you, David? Yeah, it sounded like you had kind of a bad uh, connection there. Let's go to our uh, next in-house uh, questionnaire. Come on in, please, with your question for our panel. I was 
wanted to thank Napoleon Kaufman. I wanted to say thank you because when we were talking about, we heard about God's view of the world. I love when you speak on the radio and you, you call the people saints. <laughs> and it's, you have no idea because that's our identity. And a lot of times people say, we're just sinners because they may look at what we do. But God said to walk by faith and not by sight. And you, when you say um, saints, I'm like behind the thing saying, yes, it is refreshing. It is. It's like awesome. So I know I have to keep this short. But what I wanted to say, can you talk on the reason why you call the people what God's called us? Amen. <laughs> well, I think it's, it's, it's a part of how I've been taught, how I was raised up in the kingdom. Um, I think that um, the Bible calls us saints. Um, it clearly calls us saints, um, and I'm constantly letting people know that just because you are capable of sinning, it doesn't mean that you have to continue to sin, and that Jesus Christ has given you another nature. He's given you his spirit. He gives you the grace to obey him and to do, th- do the things that are right in his sight, and that um, although I am capable of walking down a pathway of sin and living a stem sinful lifestyle, that is, that's not my, my, my choice anymore. I choose to yield to the influence of the Spirit of God, and uh, I'm going to deny myself, take up my cross, and follow Him. And so that's why I constantly reference to the people of God in our congregation or whoever's watching on radio or all over the world or whatever, um, that, <coughs> that we're saints and that Jesus... Uh, that the Bible calls us saints. And so those are the reasons why I, I, I really believe that when you give your life to Jesus, that you don't have to continue to live a sinful lifestyle. God will give you the power to overcome sin. All right. Thank you so much. Let's move on next to another caller. We've got a Misty in San Francisco. Misty, come on in with your question. Hi. How fabulous. Uh, God bless everybody. Hey, I want to say something important. Um, This is a fabulous conversation, and this is something that I've basically been standing for and basically begging for for the last 35 years, and it's for the church to wake up and step into the gap, and not only with the unbelievers, but those who are saints. There's people that are shut in. There's people that are here that are there. We can't just be sitting in church, and no offense, but sitting in church, reading workbooks, or having lunches. The reality is we have hard work, and it's a 24-7 job, and the workers are few. And just talking about the sad reality that the percentage rate of saved in the Bay Area is somewhere around 2 to 3%, and it's the most atheistic city in all of America. And still, in my estimation, and I know the Lord may start to change that, the church has not been doing it Right. They're doing church when we have to do real relationship. If somebody needs you at 12 midnight, go to their house. If somebody doesn't have a place to be on Christmas, invite them over. These things have not been happening for 30 years uh, in my life and people that I've known. And a lot of them, you know, can't make to church for one reason or the other. Sometimes it may be they're handicapped. Sometimes it may be that they're ignored. There's different reasons. But if we can address the saints 
with a way that is beautiful and that is true and that is diligent, that is long-suffering, and that is in, like living the life of, of warfare that we have to live, then you will be prepared to deal with the sinner who needs you. I think- Real quick, Misty, I appreciate your call. And you're right, we need to be engaged. And, and Pastor Loritz touched on this briefly earlier, that sense of addressing felt needs, that we're not just sitting back as observers. It's easy for the church to say, boy, we're in trouble, and the, the, the American culture is going to heck in the handbasket, and all of these negative things about the culture and society around us, and then wait and just hope that something better happens. I mean, does not God call upon us to be his agents here on earth? Are we not to be engaged in that process of salt and life that not only preserves but also shares the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we're about the master's business of changing hearts, of discipling, as that happens, then we're going to begin to see a church that's not just sort of atrophied at 4%, as the caller suggested, and that's the Bay Area per capita church attendance, 4%, but instead becomes a church that is great and strong and tall. I believe that the Bay Area is not a place where we can say, what a horrible mess, let's just write this thing off, and uh, you know, we'll, we'll pray for the church down in Dallas and the Bible Belt. We're not even the suspenders of the Bible Belt here in California, right? The reality is that we have a wonderful opportunity here to impact culture, and there's absolutely no limit here but up. Panelists, any comment? Well, I think that the problem, honestly, is that the church's message has become the Bible, the Word of God, plus the world. Mm. We can't have that. It's, the, the church's message should be the Bible. The sufficiency of Scripture is somewhere lost in all the smoke and mirrors that happen on a Sunday morning in so many churches. And so people are hearing how to have a happy marriage or how to fix their checkbook that won't balance, mm. which are all good things, but... Paul told Timothy, preach the word, preach the Bible, preach the word of God. And we have to get back to our roots, brothers and sisters, that we believe that this book is sufficient for life and godliness here on this earth in which we live. And then we can begin to see change, and then people will become more biblically literate. But it's continued upon the church to teach the word, to focus on God's Word. We need more pastors that are preaching the Word and, quite frankly, more people in the pews that are living by it. Amen. Yes. yes, sir. Thank you so much. Your question, please, for our panel. All right. Uh, first, I just want to say thank you for this event. It's been very good uh, to hear all the different perspectives. Um, so my question is about diversity in church, in church communities. Um, so I was curious what some practical things that churches can actually do to not only just integrate on the issue of racial reconciliation, but to do it in a way that's both genuine, so we're not just getting a nice picture of people that look different, um, but also doing it in a way that's safe, since um, the issue of race can cause so much pain. I'm just curious, what, what are things that we can actually do as churches to make this happen? All right, excellent question. Who wants to tackle that first? One thing we do at Grace, every Sunday after church, we have a meal. And uh, that meal could be of an Asian background, or it's, it didn't, doesn't matter what kind of food it is, it's always good, but it introduces us to different cultures. Okay, and, and that's a, a basic thing that we can do to begin to understand uh, different backgrounds and different cultures. I think another thing is travel to different countries. Go overseas and see how other people live. You know, uh, the world is so much bigger than the United States of America. And we need to begin to kind of explore a little bit, I think. 
Yes, I think that's, um, that's really exactly what I was going to say as far as we've got to figure out how to create smaller environments for people to actually interact. You know, um, it's interesting when something racially volatile happens and you go on social media and you read the comment section of a Facebook post dealing with it or blog posts, and, and I'm not even going to get into the weeds of what they say, but you just look at how different the responses are and how combustible they are, and you go, wow, we, we really don't know each other. And I think it all comes back to a lack of relationship. Uh, I think I said this on the last panel, but um, it, really is, it really is true. Um, proximity breeds empathy. Distance breeds suspicion. So when I'm actually in community with people who don't think like, act like, look like, or vote like me, but I'm at their dinner table, that's going to really cause me to flex my empathy muscles. But when I don't know them, and I've allowed Fox News or MSNBC or CNN to disciple me more than Scripture, and they give me stereotypes of the other, then I'm, I'm going to allow myself to hide behind generalizations. So for me, what I tell Abundant Life, I'm glad we're multi-ethnic, but the truth of the matter is the problem with the church is if people are still coming to church out of relationships, then sanctuaries reflect dinner tables. So if you want a diverse sanctuary, it starts with you having a diverse dinner table and getting to know one another. Well put. Another comment over here? You know, I think one of the things that, that in our church, we have a, a very, very diverse church at our, at our house. And, uh, but I think one of the things that, that I've tried to do is be very, very intentional and from the pulpit letting people know, I don't care who you are, if you got racism in your heart, it's evil. And, and it needs to be something that, that is repented of. And so I don't shy away from it in the sense that I'll address it from the pulpit and people that are at our church, they know, you know, um, uh, we're very, very, and I hate to use this term, but I'm going to use it. I'm very aggressive in making sure that that demon doesn't get in my church and that we're going to fight it and that everybody is welcome. Everybody is welcome. And uh, everybody has to check their heart. And I think that for us, it's been a blessing. Another thing is, as an African-American pastor, I, have, uh, I make sure that I don't have any, any uh, racism in my own heart. And to make sure that, that if God sends me somebody that he wants to be in leadership that is white or Hispanic or black or whoever, whatever, that I'm open to that. And I think leadership is also a big part of that. When people come into your church and they see... You, you have a diverse leadership and that people are welcome in that regard also that it does go a long ways. Now, not everybody may have that luxury depending on their location and whatnot, but I think that for us, especially here in the Bay Area, that has to be something that we look at too as leaders is that uh, are we closing off people that aren't the same color as us from being in leadership? And uh, because that also can hinder your ability to have a multi-ethnic church. And, and let me add to that. It's easy to hate people that you don't know. Yes. 
if you know them and you break bread with them and they're not just the people that live down the blow of those people over there, but rather they're people that you actually have fellowship with, as you get to know them as people and individuals for whom Christ died, it becomes increasingly difficult to hate them. Amen? Yes, young lady. Final question here, if you would, please. You've been waiting a while. We appreciate your patience. Come on in with your question for our panel. First, thank you for bringing Lifeline here. Thank you very, very much. Uh, A friend's only sibling was murdered by the Mexican cartel. On the other hand, a mother and child are fleeing Mexico from spousal abuse. Uh, In Jesus, we will love one another. Jesus is very clear regarding the LBG community. Marriage is between one man and one woman. My question is that friend who has seen more death than anybody I've met outside of a war, uh, I invited him to Bible class. Uh Uh-oh. It was Jesus commanding the scapegoat to go out to be left to exposure, heat, hunger, thirst, loneliness, and they have not come to church since. This was more than a year ago. Uh, You know, maybe he'd survived the goat and somebody, a tourist, said they saw goats in that area. Uh, As far as the sheep, um, maybe they were snuck up on because when they're scared, they produce a toxin. They feed the goats to the priests so they don't want them to get sick. But how do you deal, and I've asked a number of people, how do you deal with the issue of somebody whose dogs have died, family members have died ahead of their time, have saved their lives multiple times? How do you get them to the Bible that God commanded, commanded uh, people to kill sheep? And I know the last book in the Old Testament says, I do not desire the blood of bulls and goats. And Jesus, God does not change. So how, how do we... Yeah, it's kind of an Old Testament, New yeah. Testament question. I, I understand that. And, and let me broaden it here because this will be our, our final question for tonight. Let me even take it a bit broader. As you began sharing, my mind went to the idea that, that you know, we oftentimes as Christians hide behind the love the sinner but hate the sin. And sometimes we, we take that approach and we say it that way and, and people are not hearing God's love. We're not hearing the story of a, of a Savior that died on the cross because God wants a relationship with them, but rather we're hearing only the judgmental side of God. And let me quick to add, without the judgmental side of God, the grace side means absolutely nothing, right? So uh, quickly for our panelists, let me start to whoever may be down on this side here, Pastor Loritz, you want to tackle that briefly? Yes, uh, I want to be sensitive. Uh, these are people who have a profound love of animals, and uh, I want to be sensitive and respect that. I think one of the things I would try to do is to lovingly plead with them to not get lost in the illustration. Actually, what the illustration points to is God's profound love for them. So what we see in the Old Testament is these are types, these are shadows. Jesus would be the ultimate lamb who was sent by his father to die on the cross and to bear all of our sins so that there is no more sacrificing of literal sheep because now he's been the mediator between our sins and a holy God. 
So those things actually turn into God's profound love for us. So the punchline is not sheep dying. It is to turn our attention to the ultimate lamb, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for our sins. So I would actually see that as a good moment to turn it into a gospel conversation. All right. Uh, Let me get some closing comments here. First, if I can, with uh, Pastor Napoleon Kaufman, some closing remarks. Well, I I would just say I just thank God for KFAX. I thank God for the work that you guys have done uh, in the Bay Area. Uh, So many people have been blessed by your ministry um, and the way in which you provided a platform for all of us to share the gospel to uh, millions of people every day. And I don't think that you guys get enough credit for the way that God is really using you all to get the gospel out there to people. So I just want to say thank you, my prayers, and I just pray a blessing over this ministry because it's a ministry. And uh, I'm just grateful to God to to be able to share um, the gospel on this program. Thank you, Pastor. We're humbled by your remarks, and we appreciate that. Pastor Phil Howard. Well, I so appreciate yourself that you're not afraid of the issues And as a Christian with an informed mind, uh, you bring some of the hottest issues to a radio audience of such diversity. I admire your courage and your diplomacy and the way you can pose the question and not walk away with that. Uh, He's a hateful right winger. You come across (laughs) as a, a humanitarian, honest, truthful Christian Thank God for your ministry all these years. We're going we're gonna to have to double the doors to get my head out the door here. Thank you, Pastor Phil. Pastor Steve Converse. Yeah, I just want to thank you for everybody coming and, and listening tonight. I, I pray that this conversation has been beneficial, that Christ has been exalted, and uh, we just uh, praise the Lord for KFAX. And Pastor Loretz. Yeah, what a joy it is to uh, host you all. And uh, I would echo what, uh, what my brother, Pastor Napoleon, said. It's a joy for us to be on KFAX, and what an incredible ministry. And I just want to know if, Pastor Napoleon, you still rolling with the Las Vegas uh, Raiders? Las Vegas Raiders. Um, no. <laughs> no. No, I'm just playing. I'm just playing. Well, a lot of people don't know I'm, I'm also the team chaplain for the Raiders. And uh, I will be uh, in the next two, after the next two seasons, I'll be handing it off to somebody else. But I'm, I'm a Raider for life, bro. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's a great note to, to end upon and, uh, and, and, and a special prayer for all of our 49er fans in the audience. That's going to do it for this edition of Lifeline. I thank again uh, Pastor Napoleon Kaufman from the Well Christian Community. Our thanks to Dr. Phil Howard from Valley Bible Church. Thanks to Pastor Stephen Converse from Grace Bible Church in Redwood City, and our host today, Pastor Brian Loritz from Abundant Life Christian Fellowship. That does it. We're a bit late. Thanks for tuning in. Till next time, remember, just don't keep the faith. Get on out there and share it. Till next time, so long. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Media Group, all rights reserved. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.